Thanks for listening to the Northridge Christian Podcast. At Northridge, we exist to help people move closer to Christ. We believe that following Jesus is a journey, and we want to help you through that journey any way we can. We pray that you grow in your walk with God through this message today. So prepare your heart and mind for this teaching from our lead pastor, Adam Scott. Hey, anybody feel like your blood is pumping after that worship set? Y'all give it up for the worship team. I started off in one seat. I ended up in another one. I got into it. It's good stuff. Hey, hey, listen, we're going to continue with worship right now by, by, by jumping into week two of the series that we're calling Playlist, where we're exploring through the book of Psalms. You see, the book of Psalms, if, if you weren't here last week, it's, it's, it's the third largest book of the Bible, okay, with over 30,000 words in it. Not only that, but it's, it's 150 different um, collective uh, writings and, and songs and poems and prayers that were written over the span of about a thousand years. Okay, this, this is by far one of the most impactful and life-changing pieces of literature ever written. And with all that in mind, that's why we're spending some time during this season of our church's history, just, just open ourselves up to it. And saying, God, what is it that you want to teach me out of these things? Can I apply to my life so that I can live in a way that brings glory and honor to you? And let's kick things off this way. How many of you watched the Super Bowl? I'm not the Super Bowl. The World Series. Forgot what sport we're in. Okay, the World Series over the past couple weeks. Anybody watch that? Three people. That's great. Okay, I didn't watch it. And I didn't watch it for two different reasons. One, the Braves were not in it. Okay, I was disappointed. Number two, I didn't watch it because this guy was in it. Okay. I don't know if you know who this is. Some of you do. This is Bryce Harper. And as a Braves fan, I am contractually obligated to dislike Bryce Harper, okay? I mean, they make you sign a contract when you buy a t-shirt. It's, it's a whole big thing. As a matter of fact, my wife and I were at a game one time, and, and she asked me, she's like, why, why does everybody boo when this guy comes up to bat? And I looked at her, and I said, we don't even remember anymore. We just know that we're not supposed to like this guy. We're committed to it for life. But let me tell you something, okay? Before his team fell apart in the World Series, Hey, this guy was on an absolute crazy run. I mean, like a historic run. He was doing incredible things in the postseason. For example, one day he hit a home run, and then he goes and sits on the bench. They come all the way around to his turn at bat again, and on the next pitch he sees, he hits another home run. Two pitches, and he got two home runs out of it. He actually hit four home runs that gave his team the lead in the postseason. He hit six home runs altogether. He's the only player in playoff history to record at least 20 hits, six home runs, and six doubles in a single postseason. See, this guy, Bryce Harper, he was the indisputable MVP for his team in the postseason this year. Now, as a Braves fan, I can't stand him. But as a baseball fan, I've got a healthy respect for what he can do. And let me tell you something, so do the pitchers that face him. You see, they recognize when he comes up in a critical situation, okay, they've got to perform at their absolute best in order to shut him down. He can do some damage. Listen, why am I telling you all that? Because the heart behind this is, is in Psalm 139. You see, life throws a lot of curveballs at us. Okay, there's a lot of things that happen in our lives that knock us off course. You see, maybe one minute your family is happy and healthy and everything's going great. 
The next minute you're battling the flu and the stomach bug and any number of other illnesses that they picked up from licking things at school. One minute the bills are paid, okay, and your retirement account is growing and, and the next minute you find yourself on the verge of a financial crisis. Okay, one minute your mental health is doing really, really well. You feel like you're making improvements and the next minute you find yourself having a panic attack in the middle of a Walmart. Okay, these problems are universal for Christians and non-Christians alike, but let me tell you something, church. The thing that sets us apart from everybody else in times of chaos and in times of trouble is that we have confidence in the one who will determine the outcome of the game. You see, when we look at the stats and the biography of the one who is behind the plate, when we look at the divine characteristics of the one who is swinging the bat, when we become fully aware of who he is and what he can do, let me tell you something, our confidence, our lifestyle, and our commitment will change and it will never be the same. So today what we're gonna do is we're gonna work through Psalm 139 and we're gonna look, we're gonna take a good long hard look at some of the characteristics of God and then we're gonna spend some time figuring out how those characteristics transform our lives so that we can live in a way that brings glory and honor to God. The first thing we learn in Psalm 139 is this, it's that God is omniscient. Okay, I want you to say this word with me on the count of three. One, two, three, omniscient. Okay, what that means is God is all-knowing. Let's read the first six verses of the psalm together. It says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. You see, what he says right here is, is it's not just that God knows everything, but it's that he knows everything about me. See, this is a theme we're gonna see all throughout this psalm. It's that these characteristics of God are not just biographical information for us to know, it's personal to each and every one of us. See, many people, they believe that God is hostile or indifferent. But David, the author of this, he understands the truth. He knows that the one true living God cares enough to know each and every one of us completely. You see, he knows when we sit down. He knows when we rise up. He knows our emotions. He knows our gestures. He knows our actions. He knows our weaknesses and he knows our fears. He knows our, our thoughts before we can sort through them. He knows our words before we can speak them. He knows our ambitions before we achieve them. But with full knowledge of who we are, God lays his hand upon us. Not out of anger or aggression, but out of sincere and authentic love and concern. How many of you use social media, anybody? Okay, how many of you that use social media have ever talked about a product and then immediately seen it show up in your newsfeed later that day? Anybody? It's scary, isn't it? Okay, I was having a conversation with my mom a while back about a clothing brand that I have not worn since I was probably five years old. 
I hadn't even thought about it in 30 years and all of a sudden it popped up in my newsfeed. Turns out they've expanded the business, okay? Now they're not just making clothes, but they're also stalking people at the dinner table, okay? And listen, it can be uncomfortable when we know that, that we're always being watched. But let me tell you what we can take comfort in. We can take comfort in knowing that that the God who knows us more than Santa Claus, the IRS, and Mark Zuckerberg combined. He knows us completely. But he's motivated by love and good intentions. You see, David talks about this and immediately at the end of this section, he becomes completely overwhelmed and that makes sense. Aren't, aren't we overwhelmed by this? See, the God of the universe, he knows us completely inside and out. And he still loves us unconditionally. There is no way to make sense of those two truths at the same time. But God is omniscient. Let's keep going. The next thing we learn about God, Psalm 139, is that God is omnipresent. I want you to say this word with me on the count of three. One, two, three. Omnipresent. Okay, there's going to be a test afterwards. He is all present. He is everywhere at once. Let's read about it in scripture, verses seven through 12. David says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. Listen, it's, it's not just that God is everywhere. It's that God is everywhere with us. See, this is personal. David says right here, he says, where can I go to get away from your presence? Where can I flee from your spirit? See, he's not trying to evade God. What David is doing is he is saying in, in the most extreme poetic language possible that there is no corner of the earth and there is no dimension of the universe that is hidden from God or out of his reach. Let me tell you, a week ago, Kirby Smart. Kirby Smart is the coach of the number one college football team in the nation. Hey, Lynn, what team is that? Can you tell me? He had his head down low and everything. Okay, it's, it's the Georgia Bulldogs, right? I hadn't checked it today, but I think it's, it's the Georgia Bulldogs, okay? And, and he was being interviewed after, after a game that was supposed to be the biggest game of the season, you know? They were playing against uh, some high school team in Orange. I don't remember exactly what their name is. But at the end of the game, he was asked about his team's performance, and, and, and he lit up, and this is what he said. I can't quote a lot of what Kirby Smart says in church on Sunday, but this is what he said. He said, nowhere to run, nowhere to hide, that was our theme. You see, all week leading up to that game, his goal was he wanted every single person on that field, no matter where they went, no matter what they tried to do, he wanted them to know that his team was on them like white on rice. Listen, if it helps you to remember, Psalm 139, seven through 12, remember this, God is on you like a Georgia defense. <laughs> nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. That's the theme of this section. See, we already sang about it today, didn't we? We said, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't 
Feel it. You're working. You never stop working. You never stop working. Listen, those are not just just powerful words to a song. They're characteristics of the God that we're singing them to. You see, darkness has this ability to conceal us from others, but God's presence never fails. Whether you're in a classroom or on a beach somewhere, God is with you. Whether you're in a season of plenty or or a season of scarcity, God is with you. Listen, whether you're walking on clouds or walking straight through hell, God is with you. Whether you're listening to my words right here in the worship center or whether you're hearing my words from a hospital bed today, God is with you. Wherever you are today, God is with you and he will guide you if you will let him. Okay, so far we've learned that God is omniscient. Okay, he is omnipresent. But there's one more characteristic that, that we learn in Psalm 139 that defines God completely and it's this. God is omnipotent. Say that word with me on the count of three. One, two, three. Omnipotent. What that means is that God is all powerful. Let's read about it in scripture, verses 13 through 18. David says, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. What he says right here is it's not just that God is powerful enough to create everything, it's that God is powerful enough to create me. This is personal. You see, before we took our first breath, while we were still being formed in our mother's womb, God demonstrates his his power in us and power over us. Before we were even born, all of our days were numbered by the only one who's powerful enough to do such a thing. God is powerful. David declares that his thoughts are like the grains of sand on the earth. I want you to think of every beach trip you have ever taken, okay? The worst part is the sand, right? They just get rid of that, I'd go all the time. But I want you to think about all the sand that you've washed off your feet and vacuumed out of your car. Listen, despite every grain of sand that you are personally responsible for relocating, it has not diminished the magnitude of a single beach at all. Listen, God's thoughts are like that. There is no power in heaven. There is no power on earth that can measure them, that can count them, or that can diminish them. His power is unmatched. There is no mountain so high that he cannot move it. There is no storm so powerful that he cannot calm it. There is no problem so severe that he cannot solve it. There is no pain so deep that God cannot heal it. Listen, what person or what circumstance in your life today has you convinced that it has power over you? Let me tell you something. Every single one of those things trembles in the presence of our God. God is omniscient. 
God is omnipresent. God is omnipotent. He is all-knowing, he is all-present, and he is all-powerful. And those truths transform our lives. Here's our sermon in a sentence, where we're gonna land the plane today. God's character, okay, the things we just talked about, abolishes complacency. God's character, who he is, abolishes complacency. You see, the things we just described about God, those things declare war against the complacency in our heart. The awareness of who he is and what he can do is incompatible completely with anything other than our absolute best. Let me show you this in scripture, verses 19 through 24. This is how he wraps up the psalm. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty, They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is in any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting." Listen, David abruptly shifts his language and his focus at this point in the psalm. You see, up to this point, he's had this spirit of of wonder and adoration, but he shifted to this place of, of intense prayer against wickedness. He says, slay the wickedness around me. I hate those that hate you. I abhor those that are in rebellion against you. Listen, David's strong words are actually connected to everything else we've talked about because it's his complete and entire focus on God that has changed his heart and made him more aware of the wickedness in the world around him. How many of you have a house that looks like kids live in it? Anybody? Okay. And some of y'all don't have kids, okay? I have a house that looks like kids live in it. And we have this wall between our, our dining room and our kitchen, and my kids bump into it all the time. It usually has chocolate milk smeared all up and down it. But one day, they, they bumped in it, into it one too many times, and it, it took a little chunk out of the sheetrock. And immediately, I panicked. You know, I'm like, oh, I gotta go fix that. Because if I don't fix it, I'm never gonna be able to rest or be comfortable in this part of the house again. Like, I've got to have this fixed because it's gonna drive me crazy. That's the only thing I'm ever gonna be able to notice. That's the only thing anybody's gonna see. That was two years ago. (laughs) And to be honest with you, I don't even notice it anymore. (laughs) See, time after time, pass after pass, what was uncomfortable became tolerable, and then it became non-existent. Let me tell you, that's how sin and wickedness works in our life. See, it's all over the TV, It's in the halls of your school. It's all over social media. It's everywhere you turn. And over time, we become desensitized to it. See, it bothers us at first, but but then all of a sudden, we just walk right past it. We're completely content just leaving it right where it is. We forget how much it's influencing us, and even more importantly, all the ways in which it's disrespecting God. We need a fresh perspective. As the church We need a new way of looking at things. But I want you to understand, that new way of looking at things doesn't happen because we decide we're gonna try harder. It happens because we look at the divine characteristics of God and all of a sudden we can't stand the thought of anything that stands against him. You see, when we look at him, it changes the way we look at everything else. But let me tell you something, David takes it a little bit farther here. 
See, he's not just focused on, focused on all the sin around him, the wickedness around him. He turns his attention to what's going on inside of his own heart. See, when he looks at the divine characteristics of God, when he recognizes how big and powerful and almighty God is, he says, God, I want you to search my heart. I open myself up to you. If there's anything in my life that I've not completely surrendered to you, I want you to expose it, God, and I want you to deal with it. Let me tell you something. That's one of the bravest prayers you will ever find in scripture. God, I open myself up to you. And anything you see inside of me, you have my permission. Not that you need it, but I invite you to expose it and deal with it. You see, what we've got to do, church, is we've got to look so intently at the characteristics of God that we say, God, I'm going to open myself up to you and I'm going to allow you to work in my life. And if you find any area of complacency, I want you to call it out so that I can deal with it, so that we can deal with it, so that I can grow closer to you. God, I open myself up so that if there's any half-heartedness, if there's any split devotion, God, that doesn't need to be there, then I surrender it to you because the God we just described and the God we just talked about deserves our absolute best. And that's what we're gonna choose to offer to him today. And we're gonna wrap up the sermon in a slightly different way than we usually do. We're gonna end with a time of communion. Okay, you should have picked up one of these communion packets on your way in. If you didn't, you can get up at any point and pick one up against the back wall. But the reason we're gonna wrap it up in this way is, is because communion allows us the opportunity to, to actually walk through Psalm 139. It allows us an opportunity to do two things, to focus on the divine characteristics of God, but then also to evaluate our heart, to examine our lives, to lay it all out before God and say, God, I want you to work in my heart. Do whatever it takes to bring me closer to you. So what we're gonna do is for just a moment, I want everybody to sit silently, spend a little bit of time with God, and then at the end of that, I'm gonna come back up and we'll walk through taking communion together. Heavenly Father, we open our lives up to you right now. God, we don't want complacency. We don't want to follow you with half of our heart. We want to surrender ourselves to you. God, we recognize in this moment as we look to the cross and what Jesus did for us, God, we recognize in this moment as we look to those divine characteristics that David describes to us in Psalm 139 that you deserve our absolute best. And so in this moment of communion, we offer ourselves to you. We invite you to move in our lives to bring us closer to you than we've ever been before. We want to live for you. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. You can keep up with what's happening at Northridge on your mobile device through our Northridge Christian app. If you have any questions about Northridge, you can contact us at info at northridge.online.